Welcome to the PMPA Speaking of Precision podcast, featuring your host, Miles Free. Hello, I'm Miles Free, and welcome to PMPA Speaking of Precision Monday with Miles podcast. Today, we're interviewing W. Worthington Treasure, who has joined me, and we're going to discuss his approach to productivity improvement. Welcome to our podcast, Worth. Thank you very much. Before we begin to discuss your approach, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got into machining and, and engineering? Well, so a little bit about me is I attended Iowa State University and graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering all the way back in 1974. I've worked at a variety of businesses, including a large farm implement company, the federal government, a defense contractor, a pump and motor company, a gun manufacturer, several contract manufacturing companies, a food packaging company, and a cutting tool distributor. So you can look at my LinkedIn profile if you want a few more details than that. Well, that sounds like a pretty broad range of experience all the way from end use cases that are pretty critical to the tooling that actually helps us produce those end use cases. What led you to process improvement as a mechanical engineer in, in those occupations? And, and what else do you think lends to the credibility of your process improvement chops? Well, here's how I got involved in manufacturing engineering for machining. So I started working for a farm implement company and I was a facilities engineer at the time and the project was winding down and I got assigned as the new machine shop process engineer. Yay! <laughs> so getting into manufacturing engineering was not necessarily my choice, but it certainly worked out. Now with 150 machine tools to learn about and write and maintain the paperwork was a challenge to say the least. After right. about six months of absorbing all I could, I knew I was on the right path when a new machine came into the shop. So here I am, the new young process engineer, and the factory staff wanted to get this brand new Cincinnati Millicron lathe up and running. And we were doing a fan shaft. Now this was made from 1045 steel hex stock, and it was about five feet long. Now there were at least a dozen people standing around to watch this. So when everything was ready, the start button was pushed, the cutting tool promptly broke. <laughs> now a new tool was installed and guess what it also promptly broke so now the programmer was on the spot and there was a concern evident amongst the assembled rather large crowd the questions were abundant and no one seemed to have a solution so since i'm the process engineer and not the programmer i made a comment i said Delete the first few lines of the program for turning down the end diameter. We should be turning the shaft, not milling it, which is why the insert is breaking. So now, of course, all eyes have come to me, the newbie. And to me, after what seemed like forever, the shop superintendent finally said, Do it. What is there to lose? So now this third attempt was all on my say-so. So the programmer deleted the lines, the operator installed a new insert and a new shaft, 
and once again the start button was pressed. Turning hex stock to a diameter with a the insert fully engaged worked. Now it sounded like a bumblebee because of the change in the depth of cut. And I gained a measure of respect. And I knew then that I could do this job. That's that's an outstanding trial by Fireworth. And uh, it's, it's interesting that you got to do it in front of all the big shots, got to do it on non-resulfurized hex stock, and, uh, and you got your first win. So I'd like to let our listeners into the kind of backstory as to why you and I are speaking today. I wrote an article in the July issue of Production Machining that was titled, Do You Belong to the Speed or Feed Tribe? And you, you actually wrote to the magazine, you responded to the article, and you had a rebuttal. I, I thought it was spot on. And your, uh, your comments were that you weren't going to be limited to the choice of either the feed or the speed drive, that there were more approaches. And that was, uh, that's why we're speaking today on this podcast. Well, and, and, your, and your article certainly was not wrong, but from my perspective, it was only a piece of the pie kind of as I hope to explain today, that there are more factors besides just feed and speed to optimize a process cycle time. Well, I, I think that's, that's exactly right. And in trying to write, you know, and, and trying to hit our, our word count in the page real estate, um, you know, we, we sometimes have to oversimplify. But as a result of our email correspondence, and you're sharing the success of how you have optimized machining processes. I asked if you'd like to participate in our podcast, and here you are. So you were kind enough to send some starting notes on your approach to process improvement, and quite frankly, worth. I can't wait to dig in. Shall we go? Let's. Of course, productivity is important to businesses, but you ask some questions even before we start. What are the questions we should ask before we start to uh, work on our productivity worth? Well, the first question to me is, is, do you have a business plan to improve activity? Do you know what information to gather to identify opportunities to improve pro- productivity? And what kinds of things do you need to get started? And there are a lot. Well, with four decades of experience, I'm sure you'll guide us down this path. Well, the thing to, the thing to me is collecting information has to be the sp- starting point. So do you know what parts in your business are the high volume parts? Which parts are high value? Which parts are creating a bottleneck? Which parts are high scrap rate parts? Which parts have large machine load hours? One critical one is which parts are losing money? And which parts are running on overtime? Those are my starting point questions. You know, those, those, those are some powerful questions, Worth. I appreciate you've created a taxonomy of problem parts, but quite frankly... If we stopped right here, just those questions 
should be enough to really cause people to rethink their approach to problems on the shop floor. I'm presuming that the approach to each of these different situations, i.e. high value parts versus parts which are losing money, may require a different approach. I'm sure that we can all agree that if you have even one of these kinds of parts in your shop, the time for tracking productivity improvements is now, right? Absolutely. And only if you understand that process productivity leads directly to profit and that profit's best achieved sooner rather than later. No argument here. Thomas Aquinas says, what's the object of the act? And in our shops, we may make a lot of parts, but the object of the act is to create a profit. So what's your approach? Well, we all know that machining processes are very common for making a variety of parts. And while many process engineers have CAD and CAM software available, a large number of smaller companies do not. Regardless of the circumstances, however, a lot of machine parts are made with functional, but in my opinion, not very productive processes. Part of that is because many machine shop owners say that machines have to run to make money, which is true, but it certainly is not the whole story. In machining processes, in my opinion, there are four primary ways to reduce cycle time. It's interesting that you're talking about reducing cycle time as the uh, indication of productivity improvement. Let's list these four ways first, and then we can tackle them uh, individually. Well, so in my opinion, those four primary ways are, A, reduce the motion of the machine in non-cutting time, reduce the cutting time in the material, reduce cutting time in air, and finally, revise a machining process by optimizing the process itself. And this last method may involve new cutting tools, new fixturing, perhaps even a change in the machine being used to make the part. That's a great list. And I like method two, uh, or method three, the uh, reduce the cutting time in air. You know, I've never heard of a tool wearing out when it's only cutting air. But let's look at that first issue you said, reduce the machine motion in non-cutting time. Well, what I've found is way too often CNC programs have sequential machine motion in rapid moves. And this frequently occurs when positioning a tool in a machining center in preparation to cut the material or when finished with cutting with the tool. So in this case, a two-dimensional motion of an x-axis and a y-axis motion followed on a following line of CNC programming as a z-axis motion is sequential motion. Right, a it's three in the series. Right, and a three-dimensional motion would be moving all three x, y, and z axes simultaneously. And this simple change can reduce cycle time. Yeah, I'd almost call it parallel processing, but it's not. It's just one move. It's just one simple move. Let so, the machine move itself. That's, that's great. So serial operations are slower than parallel. Working simultaneously makes perfect sense. Your second 
your second point was to reduce cutting time in the material. Well, here's where I've run into an awful lot of issues, which kind of got into your speed and feed tribe. So the technical publications out there will always recommend surface speeds and feed rates for the usage of their tools. When milling, too often I have found that the depth of cut is too shallow. When tapping a threaded hole, speeds are often too slow. Drills, certainly with two flutes, work fine, but in some applications, three flute drills will be much more productive. And custom tools can certainly be very useful, such as step drills and step reamers. If the volumes are there worth, custom tools can really be what delivers the job at the lowest cost. Number three was cutting air, and I I kind of jumped on that right at the beginning. Cutting air is easy, but... I guess it's expensive. Well, you're moving the machine to cut metal. So ideally the material is what should be, cutting the material is what should be happening with the cutting tools. Air, not so much. So is the CNC program optimized to reduce cutting air versus cutting the material? So how many seconds and what percentage of a cycle time is not productive with the tool or tools cutting air? You know, that's a great point, Worth. Do you have an example? Well, for instance, in both horizontal machining centers and vertical machining centers, many times we choose to use short tool holders. That's for rigidity, right? Yeah, and they tend to be less expensive. (laughs) However, (laughs) what that also means is the machine spindle is moving a longer distance. So when doing drilling or boring or reaming, I try to use the longer tool holders that are available, which means the spindle has to travel a shorter distance, which saves time and it saves machine wear. And we bill on time and we pay maintenance costs on wear. Well, we certainly do. And then you get to lays and some processes, they have very short tools in the turret. But then you have people that, move the turret back to a home position, then they change the tools and move the turret a lot in air. So why not use the better, faster choice, which is to move the turret only as much as necessary to clear the longest tool in the turret when rotating to a new station. Why move the turret more than necessary? That's, that's actually a great explication of one of the eight wastes of Toyota, wasted movement. You've identified one of the Toyota wastes. I I totally agree. Well, so what is all that time involved with non-productive motion worth? So what is it costing your shop? Quite a bit. Great point. Now, the final point you say, revise the machining process by optimizing the process. You had said earlier it may involve new cutting tools, new fixturing, perhaps a change in the machine being used to make a part. These are not what I call, uh, forgive me, incremental changes. These are substantial in both cost and impact. Please explain what you mean here. Well, is the process itself optimized? Are the appropriate tools really being used? Is the part really fixtured correctly? 
And is it really a good process if the machine is running longer than necessary to make a part? So here's an example of a real part in a real shop that I worked on. The part is an accessory rail for a gun. To describe it, the part's basically one of a family of parts made from an aluminum extrusion, and this one was about a half an inch wide, approximately three-sixteenths of an inch thick, and the short one which I'm talking about was only about one inch long. Now, the original cycle time took two minutes in a vertical machining center. There's some removal going on. Yeah, and in this particular case, the part has two holes of different sizes. The ends were chamfered on all four corners. And the original machining process was to put a sawed-to-length piece of extrusion in a vise, center drill the two holes, drill a small hole, drill the large hole, and then mill and chamfer both ends. Now, the new revised process used just one tool, which was the end mill. The tool holes were plunge milled and circular interpolated to the size. Then both ends were milled and chamfered to finish up the part. So the new revised cycle time was just 30 seconds using one tool. That is productivity. 30 seconds down from two minutes and a single tool, a mill at that. That was not only a productive change, but a profitability change as well. Well, and it really didn't use anything other than tools that were readily available with the fixture, with the part, in the machine. You know, Worth, when we originally spoke, you gave me some pushback about my admitted oversimplification about belonging to either the tribe of feed or speed. I agreed, but felt that it was a way of getting people to think anew about how they approached their machining practice. Your questions, your taxonomy of problem parts, and your four primary ways to reduce cycle times are a great resource for our listeners to use, as well as to empower the performers in our shop to improve their productivity and profitability, in all caps, (laughs) for their precision machining shops. Thank you for sharing your experience. Well, Miles, you're very welcome, and I thank you for inviting me to speak with you. I certainly like the variety in manufacturing, all of the different parts and the different processes. And I certainly hope some of our listeners will apply some of these methods and techniques that I shared today with you. Now, some of these items are very easy to look for and change. Certainly others might take some time to implement, but generally the benefits can be great. And I know that process productivity leads to profits. That wraps up today's podcast on an approach to productivity improvement with W. Worthington Treasure. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You don't want to miss one. For additional information, please visit pmpa.org, where you can also search for articles, webinars, podcasts, and other resources. And if you aren't already taking advantage of PMPA membership, be sure to check out pmpa.org to see the myriad of other benefits we offer our members. And Worth, 
Why is a PMPA membership important? Because, because we, we are, are better, better together. together. Thank you so much, Worth. Hey, thank you. I appreciate being invited. Don't forget to join us next Monday on Speaking of Precision, Monday with Miles. <laughs>